Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason here. Joining me as always, Ben Mandel, John Pauline. We got the opening week, the opening games going on. Just a great time to be alive. National holiday. It really should be, guys, opening day. Just a start of new beginnings, a fresh start. Teams really don't know how far they're going to go. Anybody could win the World Series. Anybody could be tanking for that first overall pick in that lottery. The new rules are fully in effect, affecting the actual record books, getting on my nerves. Lots of teams starting at bats 1-0, 0-1. We got that pitch clock. Teams, umpires, officials, the league, no idea what they're doing. But let's get it started with some news. And one thing I want to bring up, Giancarlo Stanton hit a ball 400 85 feet went right over monument park just cleared it in a spot that nobody ever puts a ball it's the second farthest home run of his career and also the third farthest hit ball in yankee stadium only behind two judge home runs from 2017 yeah really just tremendous feats by stanton and i guess i'm not so surprised just because i guess i expect this from him he strikes out a lot, but he swings really hard. He's a big, strong guy, and when he connects, boy, can the ball fly. Now, news I do want to bring up, Wilson Contreras, he suffered an injury on opening day. He took a 103-mile-an-hour fastball from Jordan Hicks right off the kneecap, and he has been sitting out since. They have said that he avoided major injury, and he is day-to-day. But at the same time, we still have yet to see Contreras return to the lineup. So that is something that uh, definitely is alarming. They said he was having trouble putting weight on his leg completely, let alone even bending his knee. So that could be something to look for for St. Louis. Again, Wilson Contreras brought in to be the guy who replaces legendary Hall of Fame catcher, or soon-to-be Hall of Fame catcher, Yadier Molina. In other news, Anthony Volpe of the New York Yankees has started his career off having three steals in three games. Why this is notable? Other than the fact that the league expanded the bases, and we're going to touch on that in a second, but he's also the fifth player to do that since 1909, and the last player to achieve this feat was Billy Hamilton in 2013. Steals aren't something that the Yankees are known for. Having a presence on the base paths is something they've struggled with the last few years. And now with the bigger bases, we're going to see a lot of teams stealing a lot more bags. We saw a record set on opening day with stolen bases. And that's one of the few rules where the league did it right. It is more exciting. And having players add another facet to the game is just going to create a lot more chaos out there. Yeah, you said it, Corey. Record-setting numbers. I believe base runners were successful 21 out of 23 stolen base attempts on opening day, which is absurd. I feel really bad for the catchers, but you're right. It is more exciting for the game, and it's going to create more offense. It creates more opportunities for teams who don't necessarily have the power to score runs, and that's what you want to see. It'll create more competitive games, and that's definitely what baseball is trying to do here. It's one of the rule changes that... I think everybody is going to like even the baseball lifers. I think, I think we're all in agreement and liking them, but you know, in terms of Volpe doing this, yeah, you know what? It's impressive, but at the same time, he's not doing it with the same standards. He's doing it with the pitch clock where pitchers now are in a specific rhythm that they have to do. 
Base runners are able to time this up much easier. Pitchers can't throw over as much, so you don't have to worry about being picked off as much. And not to mention the fact there's a shorter distance. We always talk about how sports, all sports, are a game of inches. Baseball is not exempt from that. And how close a lot of these plays were that, you know, guys were maybe out by like two or three inches. Well, guess what? That distance has now been shaved down and it makes it easier for guys to steal bases. You know, my dad and everybody growing up used to always say in the game of baseball that whoever designed the bases and designed the diamond did it perfectly because look at how close all of these plays are. And now increasing the bases, it's going to make a lot of these plays that were outs, a lot more hits, a lot more uh, successful stolen bases, a lot more guys being able to beat out throws and plays, which creates more offense. And again, that is what the league is trying to do outside of just the home run ball. I think you're going to have to put an asterisk next to any stolen base records from now on since these rule changes, just because it's so drastically different from how it used to be. And I think you're going to need that little asterisk there when talking about all these new records being set. I'm going to go in a different direction and say you're completely off base there, John. I think that's what the rules are now. That's like saying that any uh, pitching stat since the 19 early 1960s gets an asterisk because they uh they changed the mound, they raised it six inches. They changed things periodically, and you can't always just put an asterisk because that's what it is now. That's just how things are. Should we say that uh once they started making actual wood bats that weren't literally gone from tree to hand, that all hitting stats should be changed? We have baseball split into eras. You have the dead ball era, and then you have the modern era. And that's kind of where we're at. We're at a crossroads where we're really entering an analytical era. So in 50, 60 years, we can kind of differentiate that way. But an asterisk, to me at least, should uh, denote something wrong. Like if you want to put an asterisk next to any steroid user in the rule in the history books, that's one thing. But these guys are following the rules that the league gave them. So to put an asterisk next to them almost makes it seem like they're guilty of just following how the game is played by the rule book that they're given. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, Corey. I see where John's coming from. I do agree the asterisk does kind of put that negative connotation. I think it's more along the lines of like 30 stolen bases was the good number. Now it's looked at as maybe 40 or 45 stolen bases, depending on how it really shakes out. We'll see how things adjust and how they adjust over the course of a few seasons, what the better numbers are and what good expectations are because again stealing 30 bases it seems is going to be a little bit easier than it was in years past does it necessarily do you penalize the players by putting something negative like an asterisk no but at the same time you don't hold them to the same standard right 30 stolen bases is no longer the mark it's 40 or 45 we'll see over the next few years what that really what that number really averages out to for the elite stolen base getters in the league but really i do agree that you can't hold the same standard while at the same time you can't penalize the players yeah and just to finish that up though even with this new rule nobody's going to touch a guy like Ricky Henderson and his ability to steal bases because nobody is that level of talent. Ricky would have feasted now. He feasted then. So at least the top end of the record book, I don't anticipate that ever getting touched. Other news, though, 
Trace Thompson had a, had a three home run game on Saturday, and every single home run was hit at a exit velo of 107.5 miles per hour. I found that pretty interesting, especially since he's somebody that's bounced around Clay Thompson's brother. And also, Aaron Judge, now with 222 home runs, he's now tied for 11th in Yankee history with home runs with uh, Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly. The next guy he's going to catch up to would be Greg Nettles at, at 250 to get sole possession of 10th all-time. Obviously, first place is Babe Ruth. He's got 659. I'm not sure Judge will ever get there or even close. But it's nice seeing Judge, especially the first year of that long contract, having uh, periodic climbs through Yankee lore. Now, I want to get into a segment I'm going to call Duds and Studs, where we're going to talk about a player who had a rough week and a player who had a really good week. And I'm going to start my dud, Red Sox starting pitcher Chris Sale. In his start he against the Orioles, he went three innings, seven hits, seven earned runs, two walks, six strikeouts. He also had a 21 ERA. It's just, I wasn't sure if he was going to be back or not. He had a lot of injury trouble the last few years. But this was just an abysmal start. Just really, really rough. It's tough to see a uh, an ace like this, somebody who was once thought of on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And I get, again, it's only one start. But he just did not look sharp. I wasn't sure what I expected out of him. It just certainly wasn't this. This was just a bad start, seven earned runs. Just somebody who really needs to figure out what's wrong. Now my stud, Aaron Judge, in his three games, he's had six hits, two home runs, four RBIs. He's hitting 462, 462, and 1385 OPS. Just a really strong start. Way to start off that uh, that encore, that curtain call to his MVP season last year. And something that's really exciting to see him build off of. What do you got, Ben? Yeah, for my dud, I'm going to go to Alex Bregman. Now, Alex Bregman, obviously, I don't think he is someone who's going to have a poor season. But in terms of opening weekend, definitely not what you were expecting out of the big bat in the Astros lineup. 16 at-bats, zero hits. He just was not able to collect a hit all weekend. He did end up scoring a run, but an OPS of 111. That is not what you expect four games into the season for a premier player like Alex Bregman. Again, this is a guy heading into his age 29 season. It's not like he's coming out of his prime. So certainly not what you expect out of the third baseman for Houston. Now swinging things over, my stud, Tommy Pham. Somebody the Mets signed, looked at as an extra outfielder. And I'll tell you what, he's someone who maybe even play into getting everyday DHing duties if Daniel Vogelback's not able to figure things out. This guy has come out this weekend. Yeah, he went 0 for 2, uh, 0 for 4 to start his Mets career. Well, he had a huge day today. He had a couple of hits here. He had he had a hit yesterday as well as a sack fly. Uh three RBIs today a home run to go with it. He has a stolen base as well, hitting 444, 500 on base for a 1389 OPS. What a start for Tommy Pham, the 35-year-old outfielder who's just trying to make his way still as a major leaguer. Well, he might be a contributor in one of the deepest lineups in baseball. How about you, John? What do you what do you have as your stud and who's your dud? 
for my dud, I have Gregory Soto. He had a his rough, you know, rough first time pitching for the Phillies. He got the loss, gave up two hits, three earned runs, two walks. I just you know, expected a lot more from him. I think he came off, you know, two back-to-back years being an all-star. I just expected him to do more and he's just having a rough, you know, start to the season. Now for my stud, I have Adley Rutschman. He went five for five on opening day. He was the first player to have a five hit game on opening day since Aaron Miles in 2005. So that's something you don't really see happen a lot. And even it's not something you see happen a lot just in baseball in general. Someone going five for five. He had four RBIs, one home run and walked once. He's just having a great start to the season. And I it's kind of what I expected him to do. And I think he's going to do a lot more of that throughout the season. I don't know if he's gonna go five for five, but I think he's going to hit a lot more home runs, a lot more RBIs. Yeah. Something I want to build off of that you said, John Gregory Soto, and really just the whole Phillies pitching staff in general, they've had a rough couple games. Now at the time of recording the Phillies Rangers third game of that set hasn't ended. So We're going to talk about really just the first two games when we talk about those two teams. But the Phillies' first two games against them, against the Rangers, were just really rough. In game one, the Phillies lost 11-7, but Aaron Nola went three and two-thirds, gave up four hits, five earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts, to the tune of a 12-27 ERA. Gregory Soto followed him, didn't complete an inning, didn't get an out, two hits, Four runs, three earned, two walks, no strikeouts, currently rocking an infinity ERA. Brogdon, one inning pitch, three hits, two earned runs, one strikeout, an 18 ERA. And that's just game one. In game two, they topped that performance. They lost 16-3. to Zach Wheeler went four and a third, seven hits, five runs, four earned runs, a walk, seven strikeouts, an 8-3-1 ERA followed by Marte, who went two-thirds of an inning, two hits, two earned runs, one walk, two strikeouts, 27 ERA. Sir Anthony Dominguez did not get an out. So zero innings pitched, three hits, six runs, four of them earned, one walk, another guy with an infinity ERA. And then Craig Kimbrell only got one out, a third of an inning, one hit, three earned runs, Two walks, one strikeout to an 81 ERA. Guys, I mean, is it time to worry about this Phillies pitching? I know it's only been two games at this point, but that's just back-to-back games where things just seem like they went off the rails and fell apart for them. Yeah, this is actually the most runs the Phillies have given up in team history through their first two games. So this is a disastrous start. Now, is it necessarily what is telling for the season to come? Maybe, maybe not. I think you look at Texas, this is a team that can hit in a ballpark that is is pretty hitter-friendly. So I'm not too worried about Philadelphia. I think it's early. This is a team that started off very, very poorly last season as well. And look at where they ended up in the World Series. So I'm not too worried about Philadelphia, but it is certainly alarming to see their big guys. I have preached all spring that, you know, their top two in the rotation can compete with anybody. Well, the way they looked on games one and two, certainly not. As a Phillies fan, I mean, it's not the start you you hope for coming off a World Series appearance. 
And after them adding all the uh, the pitching they did in the off season and stuff, you would hope that they would add, you know do more now. And as we're recording this now, they're they're playing their third game right now, and Falter already gave up a solo homer <laughs> again. So their pitching is just not looking great at all to start the season off. I don't think it's time to hit the panic game yet. There's still a lot of games to play. It's still early on the season. These pitchers they'll come in and they'll hit their grooves and stuff. But it is concerning with Nola though, because he has had problems in the the past with giving up home runs and stuff but he does get a lot of strikeouts so I think it comes with the territory when you're throwing a lot of strikeouts and attacking the zone you're going to give up those home runs but I think what is just I think when Ranger Suarez gets back in the rotation I feel his pitching will get will get better and I think as the year goes as the year goes on I think the the pitching will start to settle in more and you'll start to see more of the pitching how they had uh, later on in the season. Yeah but you know the Phillies aren't the only team struggling we've had some surprising starts we got a couple undefeated teams. Again, the Rangers, who are playing the Phillies, are 2-0. The Rays are 3-0, although they did play the Tigers. And the Twins are 3-0. Now, the flip side of that, their opponents, the Royals, are 0-3. The Tigers are 0-3. The Phillies are 0-2. Leading their division, though, Tampa, 3-0. Minnesota, 3-0. Texas, 2-0. That's the American League. National League, Mets are 3-1. Cincinnati's 2-1. Arizona's two and two. Now in the NL West, four teams are two and two. But because the tiebreaker right now is alphabetical order, the Diamondbacks get to say they sit atop. Last place in each division, National League, you got San Fran at one and two, Pittsburgh one and two, obviously Philly 0 and two, as we've said, Seattle one and two, Kansas City 0 and three, and Toronto at one and two. Guys, based off of our our, uh, power rankings, where we had St. Louis at 10, Seattle at 9, Philly at 8, Toronto at 7, Dodgers at 6, Mets at 5, San Diego at 4, Atlanta at 3, Yankees at 2, Houston at 1 overall, with the Angels, Guardians, and White Sox all getting a vote, where you can read that on Outsidersports.net. Guys, is it time to panic yet? Who on our power rankings going into the seasons, not starting off the way you want, is anything surprising to you how this season shook out so far? I would say it's a little surprising that the Seattle Mariners sit where they sit through the first weekend of the season. At the same time, it's not time to panic just because it is just four games into the year. Now, everything points to this being a big year for the Seattle Mariners. But, you know, having that first series, you know, not go your way really can be difficult. Look, Julio Rodriguez is a superstar. I don't care what you say. I get that, you know, Cleveland is Cleveland, though. They were able to get to Shane Bieber on opening day, had a great outing uh, themselves on the mound from uh, Luis Castillo. But, you know, this is a group that you know, is going to need pitching beyond that. And Cleveland was able to do their damage in game two. They got to Robbie Ray early. Game three, Seattle was able to go out and pitch, but then, you know, Aaron Savali goes out there and throws seven shutout innings. So, you know, you need your superstars like Julio Rodriguez to step up. You need more out of their other guys like Eugenio Suarez, like Ty France, like Teoscar Hernandez, who's someone that Dylan and I have preached uh, being a big power guy. Is Jared Kalanick going to be a superstar? Is he going to be a serviceable player? Who knows? But there is certainly questions for Seattle. But it is certainly not time to panic by any means. 
just one series against a good baseball team that we all expect to be a playoff team. Yeah, you know, the team I want to look at, the San Diego Padres. Padres are a team we had fourth overall going into the season. They're 2-2 two and two right now, fourth in the NL West. Obviously, there's a four-way tie for first. They lose the tiebreaker by having uh, the alphabetical order not go their way. I find that tiebreaker to be really funny early on because obviously that's not how it's going to work out once the season ends. But right now, when you look at the standings, it's going to go in alphabetical order. I'm not surprised at this start. The Rockies are always a really good team in April. I don't know why, but if you go back the last few years, the Rockies are somebody uh, that always uh, really surprises you. They seem to always have the best record or a top top record after the first two, three weeks of the year. And then they go turn back into a pumpkin. They, they're what we always thought they would be. But right now, you know, playing the Padres, they're able to get to the pitching. I'm not surprised. I think the Padres will be okay again. It's always too early to really panic. And quite frankly, I wouldn't panic until even until maybe even June, because if you have a bad two months, we've seen teams where like the Washington Nationals in 2019, they were in like last place in like on like June 21st. And then they ended up coming and going to win the World Series that year. So it's definitely too soon to panic. But I just think it's funny that the Padres were the super team going into the season, and they've kind of faltered against a Rockies team that, one, nobody thought was going to be good. But for some reason, that franchise always seems to have a hot start in April. I think it's too I think it's too early to panic for just any team this season. And if there's any fans panicking right now and saying, like, the you know the sky's falling are, are crazy. I mean, we're only four games into the season. There's There's a lot, a lot, a lot of baseball left to play, and – there are teams that start off with good starts and bad starts and, you know, end up in the playoffs and miss the playoffs. But there's one team that I guess wasn't on that we did not have ranked in our rankings, but still got a vote was the White Sox. I think they should have been number 10 in the rankings. I think they, I think they are going to be pretty good this year. They already have two wins. They already beat the Astros twice. And Mike Clevenger threw five shutout innings today to be to in the win against the Astros. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the White Sox. I think, you know, I've been saying throughout, I think I was one of the only guys who took the White Sox to win the American League Central to start the year. So, you know, definitely a team, you don't want to overreact to two wins against Houston, but I certainly feel like they're a team that's on their way. See, I feel the other way, though, about them, and I still think you're crazy if you think they're going to win the Central. I just think the major talent disparity between them and a team like Cleveland and Quite frankly, the way Minnesota's played, them too is just too big. I'm not sure they found their identity, but getting too I just on I just don't get impressive. I don't get how you can look at the White Sox and say they're talent deprived. No, not not talent deprived, but I think there's a big difference between Cleveland's roster and the White Sox roster, and I think that just leads to consistency as the overall mark. You have so many guys that are too boomer bust and that just can't get it done consistently enough. They they need to have big years from Andrew Vaughn, Yohan Moncoda, Luis Robert, just a lot of guys, plus that pitching staff with Dylan Cease, Sunshine Clevenger, Lucas Giolito, guys that have a lot of talent but aren't always able to consistently put it together. Even a guy like Michael Kopech, a guy I really like, he's got wild uh, issues finding the zone and consistently staying there. They have a lot of talent. I just think the consistency just keeps them at a big disadvantage because you truly don't know what team you're going to get night to night. 
But guys, we already finished opening weekend. We know for the most part how things stand after the first series of the year. You know, three, four games down, 159, 158 games remaining for teams. What are some games you're looking forward to this week up until our next episode? Is there any game you guys want to kind of highlight, put out there that you think uh, people should be paying more attention to? This next weekend, we're going to see a big series down in Atlanta in Truist Park. The San Diego Padres will be heading into Atlanta next weekend. We're going to see them take on the Braves. Two of the best teams in the National League going at it. I think they're two of the top four teams in the National League. It should be exciting to see them go head-to-head. Interesting to see how the pitching will line up. Hopefully, we will see best on best. I think it's going to be 2-3-4 for each team uh, going up in that series, but we will have to see with off days. uh, They also can shake things up a little bit differently, but really, the San Diego Padres, Atlanta Braves, just two of the most stacked rosters in the entire MLB. LB should be a very fantastic matchup. A series I want to highlight the New York Yankees at the Baltimore Orioles. That's going to be Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, the Yankees yet again off on Friday. It's not their home opener. It's not opening day. It's Baltimore's home opener. That's why they're off on that Friday to give them that rain uh, separation between home opener and the next game for Baltimore. But that's a series I want to highlight because That's the first time the Yankees are going to play Baltimore this year, obviously. But if the Yankees want to get to the level they want to, they've historically done it by beating up on the Orioles and teams towards the bottom of their division. And they need to see what they do to compare against a divisional rival and a team that's on the up. Now, on the flip side for the Orioles, the Yankees are a fantastic barometer to see where they can stack up. The Orioles are a team that, They've done well against Boston. We've seen them lose a couple games to really wacky fashions. You had Ryan McKenna drop a fly ball in left field to uh, let the Red Sox extend the game in the bottom of the ninth, and then they won two games later, and that catch would have won it for them. But the Orioles are a team that they need to be able to compete with the Yankees, and again, it's early. It's never too early to see how you stack up to a team in your division. I think a, ser- a series that I'm excited for is another Yankees one next week, the Yankees-Phillies. I think it'll be interesting. The Yankees are going to be traveling from Texas all the way up to New York, and I think it'll be interesting to see if the Phillies can, you know, bounce back, per se, against the Yankees team that's probably way better than the Ranger team they are playing right now and see if they can at least maybe get their first win or maybe their second win, depending on how the game goes tonight. Because right now the Phillies have... I think the really strong point is their offense is doing is doing pretty good right now. Pitching not so well, but the Yankees are off to a great start all around. I mean, the pitching looks fantastic. I mean, hitting looks fantastic. I mean, Judge already has two home runs. The standing just hit that 400 yard bomb. Like it's gonna be, I think, a real test for the Phillies to see if they're there because in, 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 if they're there and they can hang with the Yankees who are, you know, front runners for probably winning the AL East. Yeah, I mean, personally, I hope that the Phillies pitching proves to be the way it has and the Yankees basically get a couple games of batting practice, but that's never how it shakes out. I'm sure the Phillies will figure it out against them and the Yankees suddenly forget how to hit pitch and field. But there's a lot of great games coming up. But that'll do it here for us. This has been the Outsiders Sports Baseball Podcast. Tune in next week where we go over week two of the season. Maybe some things will change. 
but as again, it'll be way too early to overreact on a lot of the stuff we've seen. Keep checking out OutsiderSports.net for some great articles, baseball, hockey, even a little bit of football, I'm sure, especially with draft month coming up. But keep looking at the socials, Outsiders Sports, Outsiders Sports 3. Keep tuning in to the great stuff going on here at Outsiders Sports.